Since the last time we talked, um, quite a lot has happened. It's been a couple of weeks, and I have um, been in, as I say, services wishing that I could hear someone um, who talks to the Lord try to tell us what we should think about all that's happening. You heard Chris say at the beginning of the hour that every time we turn the news on, it seems like the news is getting worse, and it doesn't matter whether it's here or somewhere else. The chaos is just rampant right now. I, I keep waiting for the word evil to be used, and I haven't heard it much, but uh, that's an important word for me because um, while our, our, it's clear right now that our prejudices are very deep and, our, um, as our president said, our fault lines have been revealed, it's also clear that there is, it feels to me like a wave of just chaos and evil being released upon the world. And um, if that is the problem, then the answers are not all political, are they? The answers are in part theological, whether we like that or not. And so they, recall, they call for an answer from the people that know God. So I come into the sanctuary every morning and I ask the Lord what it is we should say to you when we're all together like this, and I don't know what that is. Uh, still, um, I can only tell you what I hear him say to me, and, and I, if, if this helps you, great. If it doesn't, I, I'm sorry. One of the things I hear him say to me is that this is the time for us to uh, um, listen better than we talk. James says, let each one of you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for anger does not work the righteousness of God. He goes on to say, therefore, put away all immorality and evil thoughts that are so rampant among you, and humbly accept the word of God that is being placed within you and can save you. Our trouble in part is that um, in a normal course of things, when we would be able to sit down and have a civil conversation of different views about what our problems are, it feels as if conversation itself has already eroded. The rhetoric has become so intense, so vitriolic, that the thing that you need to do when you're angry, that is talk, we cannot do. For we have, apparently, we're losing the sensitivity to that. And so I hear, this, I, I hear the Spirit say to me, and it might just be me because I talk too much anyway. Um, he might just be saying, Steve, it's time for you to learn the economy of language. This is not a time when people will listen to your arguments. This is a time when they will look at your hearts. That's where your arguments come from. So until you can locate your answer in a good place, until you can speak from a good place, not just with a good argument, wait. I'm speaking then, I'm calling us, at least me, uh, to listen more and speak less. I'm really speaking against right now the Facebook culture, which goes out and just, just rattles things that comes into its mind immediately, not knowing, I guess, that words matter. 
you will always have an opportunity to say what you think. You will always have that. But once you say it, you can't unsay it. So be careful what you say at a time like this, that it does not dial up the rhetoric. Be a good listener and find yourself before you feel compelled to speak. I know how tempted you are because I feel it uh, as well. The second thing that I hear the Lord saying to me at a time like this is that this is the time for the church to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Don't wait for the nation to pray. Let the people of God pray for the nation at a time like this. There was a time in the Old Testament when King Jehoshaphat was with his army and he came to a pass that he knew he could not get through. The enemy was on both sides. What does the king, what does the president do in a moment like this? Do you know what he did? He called the nation to pray. And this is what he prayed. He said, oh Lord, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. Oh, that the people of God would pray something as humble and genuine as that. And I believe if God's people pray, God will heal our land. But this is the time to pray. Let us not minimize that powerful leverage that we have. And so, if you would for a moment, would you Bow your head with me before we get into the message. All right, Father, I've said it. I know I said too much, but I think somewhere in all of that, there is something for your people today, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch the part of us that needs that message so that it resonates with us. Together we humble ourselves and say that the problems that confront us, they seem far over us, far outside of us. They're too big for us. And yet they cause us fear and confusion. And we confess that some of the anger on the streets has gotten into us. And we pray that you would cleanse your people and that you would heal our land. Beginning today, we bring ourselves back to this mission of prayer. Now for these next few moments, oh, how we need you. More than ever, in your name, amen. Thank you, guys. So the parables that we're talking about today talk about prayer. Both parables, they speak about prayer. And both of them say the same thing. They say that the kingdom of God, that's what we're talking about. The kingdom of God moves along on the currency of prayer. Let me say that differently. Prayer is how things get done in the kingdom of God. Prayer is how things get done in the kingdom of God. This is really big news because we live in a culture that is overactive and overbusy. And we have a prejudice toward practical answers. We live in a culture that has been cut off from the transcendent. 
So in our culture, it isn't, it isn't that God doesn't exist. The problem is that he does exist, but he doesn't matter. David Wells puts it, God today rests upon the world so inconsequentially as to not be noticeable. He has lost his saliency for human affairs. That's an accurate picture of the feeling of God in our culture today. And so any conversation with God, which is what prayer is, has also lost its saliency. It is also unnoticeable. So it isn't that we don't pray. 84% of us have prayed at least once in the last year. 55% of us, more than half of us, pray every single day. And almost half of us say that we, quote unquote, rely heavily on prayer. It isn't that we don't pray. It's that prayer has lost its weight, its gravitas. It has become a largely personal thing. It is not used anymore as much to order the external world. It is used more often by everyone to order their internal world. It seems about 30 years ago, we were trying to prove whether prayer had an effect or not. And so we went through a series of studies that were designed to prove that people that were prayed for got better answers and people that prayed felt better about themselves. And the truth is, we were almost, in a sense, able to prove that. But the unintended consequence was we proved at the end of the day that prayer most powerful impact is on the one praying. Even if it doesn't change the exterior world, it makes one well-adjusted, better to live with, easier on their interior world. And so the unintended consequence has been that prayer over the last 20 to 30 years has shifted largely from something that was done for the world towards something that was done for the individual. The importance is that it reordered my interior life, not that it reordered the world. And this is a significant loss because the moment we shifted to the interior world, then it wasn't as important who we were praying to. And so most of them would say, our studies show that there is almost no difference between a person who prays as a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew, so long as they pray, because it has the same interior effect. But one of the things I get when I read the Lord's Prayer is that this is not about the interior world. This is about the reordering of the world around us. It is a call to the nation, to the people of God, to re-engage in the work of prayer. So it is big news to say, in the kingdom of God, prayer is how things get done. We should not be surprised at this, because virtually everything about the kingdom of God has been lost on us. Has it not? We learned that in the kingdom of God, the most powerful people were the servants, not the leaders. That surprised us. We learned that the ones who overcome evil are not the ones who retaliate, but the ones who actually forgive their enemies. That surprised us. And today we learn that the ones who actually move things forward are the ones who know how to pray. Well, the most shocking thing as I read this 
these parables was where they came from. You're in Luke chapter 11, aren't you? If you back up to Luke chapter 10, the last four or five verses in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, there's a very um, familiar story to you which I think gives something of the context for me. We learn from Luke chapter 10 that Jesus is traveling with his disciples along the road. They're all around him. They are with him when the lawyer confronts him and talks about, well, then who is my neighbor? And the disciples hear Jesus' epic response to that question in the form of the parable of the Good Samaritan. From there, Jesus and his disciples go into a certain village and they enter the home of Martha. Martha has a sister named Mary. So Jesus and we assume a few of his disciples are in the home of Martha and Mary and Martha is in the kitchen and she is getting something ready for dinner, I think. And Mary is sitting in what is something like a living room. It's a common area while Jesus is teaching and she is sitting at his feet. This is odd, isn't it? Because as long as there were men in the room, a woman's place was in the kitchen. No, let me say that again. She was not allowed to be in the room with the men while they were there. But Mary has pushed through these social boundaries and decided that if Jesus is talking, she wants to hear what he says. What a remarkable spirit. What tenacity. Well, this is all that Martha can stand. Martha's been in the kitchen for a while now. Finally, she bursts into the living area and she says, Jesus, does it not bother you that my sister is not with me in the kitchen? Would you tell her to get up and come in the kitchen and help me get things done? This is the time. First of all, she's passive aggressive, isn't she? Mary's right there. Tell her yourself. But this is the time that a good Jesus would say, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. What an oversight. Everybody stop what we're doing. Let's get into the kitchen and help Martha. This is not what Jesus says. He is not sympathetic to this. He leans forward and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. The New Living Translation says, Martha, Martha, you were overwhelmed with your serving. <laughs> then he says, only one thing is important at a time like this, and Mary has found it. And I won't take that away from her. Now, people who read this story tell us, and I think they're right, that nowhere in the story does Jesus despise the work of Martha. He never says the work in the kitchen's not important. But what he does in this story is he starts to elevate the work that is done at his feet. Let me say it differently. It appears in this story that there then are two ways to work. One can work in the kitchen and one can work at his feet. And the place to be on this day, in this hour, is wherever Jesus is, even if it's not in the kitchen. For there is a time to work in the kitchen, and there is a time to work at his feet. And yes, you may pray while you work in the kitchen, but you may also pray 
while you sit at his feet. Ours is a busy and overactive culture that overestimates the work that is done in the kitchen and underestimates the work that is done at his feet. So whenever we gather, we always want to talk about the work that is being done in the kitchen. Martha, tell us, how did you do that? Tell us the secrets. Tell us the shortcuts. Tell us, how did you get that extra degree? How did you make your church grow so large? How is your business so successful? How is it that you are so good at all of those things that you do? Tell us how you got so good in the kitchen. Martha, write books, do a tour, lead conferences, talk about how to get things done. Our problem, Martha, is that we don't know how to get things done. But Mary says there is another kind of work, church. It's the work of sitting at his feet. And the reason that I say this is because in the last 10 years or so, we have found so many in the culture pulling people away from his feet and into the kitchen. The bias in the church right now is towards social justice or activism. That is to say, if we are sitting in our pews or sitting at the altar or praying, quote, all of the time, oh, I wish that was our problem, we are being summoned by nonprofit organizations to be serious about our faith, to come up off of our feet and to get into their cause. They will tell us this is what is wrong with our city. This is how my organization will fix that. These are the volunteers I need. I need people like an army to come into my cause. And we are led to believe that the real business, the real action, the traction is being had in the kitchen. But what I hear this morning is a call for another voice that says, there is a time to be in the kitchen and there is a time to be sitting at his feet. You ought to be as good at his feet as you are in the kitchen. If you talk about the impracticality of only sitting at his feet, can we speak for a moment about the futility of spending all of your time in the kitchen? So if you find yourself saying, well, you know, I'm doing okay, I work pretty hard, and I'm getting a lot of things done, the organization that I'm leading is thriving, my business is growing, my church is multiplying, I'm getting a lot of traction, and Steve, I'm not that good at prayer, I admit it, but how is this happening? May I suggest the same thing is happening to you as I think is happening to me. That when our life begins to show more success than our prayers can validate, then it may be that we are working for the kingdom more than we are working with the kingdom. More than we are working in the kingdom. We are working for the kingdom. And God may love it. He may even be impressed. But have you ever wondered if you were doing this much on a mediocre prayer life, how much more could we do if we knew the language of heaven? For prayer is the dialect of heaven. It is the language heaven speaks. 
It is how things get done in the heavens. And if whatever we're doing is going to last forever, if it's really going to outlive us, then it's going to have to have eternity breathed into it. And there is no way to get anything from the heavens into our work unless we speak heaven's language. We will have to learn to talk to heaven like heaven for heaven to come down and elevate all of this beautiful work that we're doing. So Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, prayer is how things get done. See, we know how to work in the kitchen. But every time we think about working at his feet, we get lost, don't we? We're like, wait a minute, man, this is prayer. Man, this is slippery. This is hard. Like it's some kind of coded language, some esoteric thing that only a few people can master. We say this is, every time I pray, I mean, my mind just drifts off. And sometimes I don't know what to pray for. Sometimes I just get stuck. I just stop. I but I keep talking anyway. And then sometimes in the middle of my prayer, all of these unfinished business starts to simmer to the top. I say, Lord, you know those things, that, those prayers that you answered, don't be offended, but I sometimes wonder, would they have happened anyway? <laughs> Is it just me? Or sometimes, Lord, even worse, the things that I asked for and you did not answer, I know there's a hundred ways to say this. We can call it God's will, but isn't it just easier, Lord, to say that you didn't do it? Maybe that you didn't even hear all of those doubts. They start to simmer to the top. You know, you can't put them to bed forever. They keep waking up on you, and they keep resurfacing at the most awkward of times. And so I have a feeling that as Luke chapter 10 fades into Luke chapter 11, what Luke is actually saying is, in Luke 11, this is the work that is done at his feet. We know how to work in the kitchen. We know how to make ideas happen. But we don't know how to work at his feet. Luke 11 says, when you're at his feet, this is what people do. Here's a couple parables. The disciples are standing there one day and Jesus walks back from a time of prayer. They notice this. They must have noticed that every time Jesus prays, something is different. They must have noticed that he has more traction. It's like his whole life has been recalibrated in those moments with God. And they, it must have got their attention for every disciple prayed, we're almost sure of this, they were good Jews, and Jews prayed at least two, maybe three times a day, in the morning and in the evening. And both times, a good Jew prayed the 18 benedictions out of Deuteronomy. So they had verbatim what they were supposed to pray. But when they watched Jesus come back one day, they said, something is different. When he comes back, there is traction, there is focus, things start to happen. So they say to Jesus, Tell us, how do you do that? How do you pray? 
What's the secret? <laughs> Jesus says, well, when you pray, uh, say, our Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us our bread and forgive us our sins for we have already forgiven those who sinned against us. And he says, spare us from the day of trouble. And the disciples thought to themselves, that's it? (laughs) That's not that big of a separation. I mean, many of those things are in fact embedded in the 18 benedictions. So, So really, that's all you say? Then Jesus answers them again in verse 5. And this time he says, suppose, suppose a friend comes in the middle of the night and knocks on another friend's door, and the other friend is in bed, everybody's sound asleep, and he keeps knocking on the door. Finally, the friend gets up and says, what are you doing? I'm, I'm asleep. Everybody's asleep. Go away. We'll deal with it in the morning. And the guy keeps standing at the door, and he says, I just had a friend show up, and he wants to eat, and I don't have anything to give him, and I need some food. I need bread. Jesus goes on to say, will not the friend inside of the house come to the door and give him what he needs just because of the shamelessness? That's the word that literally is used. Just because of the courage with which the friend knocked on the door, he was not afraid to be specific. He he didn't postulate. He didn't theologize. He just said, I need bread. Jesus says, the God to whom you pray is like a friend. Or which of you, he says, which of you that has children, if the child should come to you and say, Daddy, I I want a fish, would you hand him a snake? If he said, Dad, I I want an egg, would would you really give him a spider or a scorpion? So... So you, says Jesus, who are just ordinary people, if you know how to give good things to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what Jesus says is when you pray, your God is like a father. So my question to you this morning is, when you bow your head to pray, what is the dominant image that comes to your mind, and where did you get that image? No, really, that is the most important thing about prayer. Like disciples, we keep thinking that the secret is in the words, and Jesus answers with an image. And we say, no, no, tell us the code words. Tell us the abracadabra part, the stuff that gets things done. And Jesus says what gets things done is a friend and a child talking to another friend and to a father. For the most important thing about your prayer life is not what happens 
from the time you close your eyes to the time you open your eyes. It's what happens in your head before you ever close your eyes because the image that you have of God shapes literally everything that you pray about and it shapes the language and it shapes the expectations that you have. I know this doesn't surprise you. I know you would come to expect that your view of God has that much to do with it. But really, really people, there isn't a better answer than this. Our prayer lives are affected more by the image that we have of God than almost anything else. The problems are not logistical in nature not fundamentally. They are philosophical in nature. We are praying to a benefactor. We're praying to someone who is just rich, but we are not always praying to someone who is familiar, who is a friend, a father. Our prayer lives would change 180 degrees in a day if we could fix that in the day. But the prayer that moves the world along is a prayer of a friend to a friend in a secret place. Oh, this has helped me this week because I came here to pray about the, about the um, state of the country like you did. And um, I started out getting ready to ask for a bunch of stuff. You know how that works. And I sit in a room one day and said, Lord, I don't want you to do anything. Can I just, can I just talk to you? Can we talk friend to friend about what is happening? I don't have a list right now. This is what I think. What do you say? And then with Bible open. Hear from the Lord. Really. It isn't magic. As simple as that is a dialogue with God. So Jesus says, if you want to pray right, be sure you are praying to the right God. C.S. Lewis said, God as he is, not as you imagine him to be. Doug Hammersgold said, Lord, when I pray, may it be the real I who is praying and the real thou I am praying to. But there then is the matter, is there not? of practicality. If you're like me, the moment you close your eyes, you'll start to pray and you'll go down a rabbit trail. That happens all the time. I think I have ADD, you know? Dear Lord, look at that bird. <laughs> happens all the time. And this is a culture that kind of applauds that and says, it's okay, you know, Steve, as long as you feel it, you know, say it, because God knows it anyway. Yeah, but some of it doesn't matter. Some of it really is stupid. <laughs> it really is a waste of time. Remember, if prayer moves things along, then there should be some kind of structure, don't you think, to the conversation. 
that we have with God. And so he goes into the Lord's Prayer and says, well, sure, when you pray, you, you, you pray something like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven and give us our bread today and forgive us our sins because you know we have already forgiven people who sinned against us. And save us from the day of evil. So this, this week I have... Um, I've been able to use this, this outline of the Lord's Prayer to, to kind of guide my prayers. And in a moment, I'm going to encourage you to pray with me. I'm going to give you time to do that. I'm going to try to guide you through that prayer time. But le, le, let me just tell you how the Lord's Prayer has influenced what has happened in my own life so you'll have something of an illustration one of the great things about the Lord's Prayer are the tensions that are in it, says Kenneth Bailey. It is not only our Father, it is His name. He is not only my daddy. He is also the Holy One. It is not only his kingdom, it's my bread. <laughs> and it's not only their sins, it's mine. And it's not only the day of evil, it's my temptations that I need deliverance from. It's been wonderful to catch the tension in there because I'll come into this room one moment and I'm praying to our Father how great the love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God and that is exactly what we are and what we shall be has not yet been revealed but when He is revealed, we will be like Him. That's our Father. But this morning I came into the room and it was different. The first words out of my mouth is, Who is man that you are mindful of him? It is the work of your hands by the breath of your mouth. The world is formed. Who is any one of us that you are mindful of us? Or that you should listen to us? Oh, that's a far cry from our Father. But you see, one of these will pull us in one direction and another in an opposite direction. It is important that we balance these two things. And so my word to you this morning is, when you pray in a moment, choose one of those two angles. Not the one that you normally choose. Choose the other one and go in that direction and ask or speak to that kind of God. I prayed this week, may your kingdom come. And, and I prayed, of course, on the national level. I prayed that the streets would be peaceful. I prayed that justice would be done, the things that you always pray. But then I heard the Lord say, but the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is before you. 
And Lori and I were listening on tape to a word from Colossians 3 where Paul says, put away all greed and malice and anger and bitterness for these things you used to be and you are not these things anymore. You have put off the old ways and you have put on the new ways created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I heard that voice again say, that is the kingdom. It's as local as the way you treat the people in your family. It's as local as the way you handle people in your work. I prayed, give me my bread. This is where I aired all of the things that I asked God to do. I said, Lord, here I am again. I'm asking for these same things. I don't have them yet. And Jesus said, everyone who seeks finds. Yes, but I have asked you hundreds of times and nothing has happened yet. Has this happened to you? And very subtly, you begin to judge the kind of God he is by whether or not he has answered your prayers. Does that not happen to you? I prayed for things. I don't have them yet. Maybe he is not quite the father that I thought he was. I asked for a fish, and he gave me a snake. And I think I heard the Lord say, just as often, Steve, you have asked for a snake and you thought it was a fish, but I gave you a fish. And so while you were on earth saying, he gave me a snake, he is not the father I thought. He is only a God. Everyone in heaven knew I gave you a fish. So I am more than the Father you think, and I am much more than your God. And so I aired out my prayer list, and I said, I'll say it again. <laughs> I won't stop. He said, everyone who asks receives, and to everyone who knocks, the door is open. I walked away thinking, I bet he knows God better than I do. I bet he knows him better than I do. I said, forgive us our sins. Yeah, I started praying about um, all of the evil that was in the culture today. And it wasn't long into that when it occurred to me that maybe I'm not the easiest person to live with. And, and while some of you are glad that I've just figured that out, um, that can come as quite a shock to a guy who's praying for all of the major cities, you know? There's a wonderful localizing effect of the Lord's Prayer. And I prayed, Lord, deliver us from the day of evil. So this morning, I want to guide you, if I can, through a time of prayer it's going to feel awkward to some of you. I'm sure of this. 
but I've, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing this with you in mind. I'm not asking you to pray in circles. I'm not asking you to pray corporately, um, even though that's how the prayer was written, because I think that would just freak too many people out. But I am asking you to bow your heads, and I'm asking you to take a few moments and let me, if I can, guide us through this time of prayer. Would you bow your heads? Take a moment, please, church, and focus on our Father whose name is holy. Take a moment and use adjectives. What is he like? And what must it be like to be like that? Your kingdom come. Focus on the kingdom that is inevitable. It's a kingdom where everyone is renewed in the image of our God. There is no black or white, no slave or free, no poor or rich, no male or female. No, the only thing that matters now is Christ, who is all and is in all. Pray, O oh Lord, hurry the day. And now pray for the things that you need. I know you have your list, and some are needs and some are wants, and I know that, like me, you're tempted to call more wants, needs, but if you can, divide them for a moment. And just take a moment and say, Father, I need this. Now pray for the forgiveness of sins. Pray that you have the power to forgive others their sins. Pray that God will forgive you yours if you can't. Pray that God will make you self-aware.
finally, pray that God will deliver us from the time of evil. This is where you ask him to be your defense, your tower, your shelter. Now that you have prayed together with the people of God, know that God is among us, church. Know that the answers to uh, our problems in our nation and in our world will come largely with the rising of a new kind of person that will not come in a single moment. It will come with the steady rise of good people living in the way of God. And so be encouraged by the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12 that you really can bless those who persecute you. You can bless and not curse. You can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You can live in harmony with others and not be haughty. You do not have to repay evil for evil, but instead you can think about what is noble in the sight of all. You can live peaceably with all, and you can leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, you can feed him. And if they're thirsty, you can give them something to drink. Indeed, you cannot be overcome by evil, for you are already overcoming evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Would you stand to your feet, please, and look to the screen, and we'll pray together this great prayer that Jesus taught us before we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.